Ephesians chapter 1. We are looking at verses 17 through 23, but I want to give you the context beginning in verse 15. After Paul gives that an amazing theological dissertation, he realizes that it is only God who can make the human soul understand. So in beginning in verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith which exists among you, and your love for all the saints... Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, as the Apostle Paul prayed that the spirit of the man, by the spirit of your holiness, that we would be enlightened in our hearts. Father, we'd move from the emotional and move to the understanding. Father, our understanding would be based on the heavenlies. And that we would be overwhelmed by it. Help us, Lord. Help us in this day and age. With so much conflict within. And so much conflict without. May we understand what it means. To be in the body of Christ. The fullness of Him. Who fills all in all. In Christ's name. Amen. We're going through this section. And it's our resources, and I shared with you that this is actually part two of our resources because he shared in 15 and 16 that he commended the church in Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus, on their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all of the saints. And if you think about in our day and age today, what are you known for? What are you known for? If someone had to mention... Well, I knew them as fill in the blank. The Apostle Paul looked at the church in Ephesus, says, you are known for your faith in the Lord Jesus. But also because of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all of the saints. Understanding that the Apostle Paul gave thanks. He gave thanks, making mention them in their prayers. Okay, And he wanted the believers in Ephesus, as he wants all believers who would ever read this text, to understand that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelations and the knowledge of Him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, and I shared with you, your heart to a Middle Easterner is not your emotions. Your heart is where you think. It's where your conscience is. It's where you make your reality. It's where your will comes from. Your decision making. And he says, I want God to enlighten it so you understand the knowledge of Him. It is amazing what we understand. It is tragic 
that in this day and age, in a country of this much freedom, we do not understand the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is hard-pressed and it is troubling to my soul to look and see the people that I love and cherish. And so many are more interested in what's going on in the world and what's going on in the trivial temporal parts and what's going on in eternity. I have shown you God's massive plan, the greatness of God's plan, verse 18, that your heart would see, that your thinking would see, would grab this, and that you would understand the hope of your calling. Why did He save you? To carry on as normal? To carry on by the ways of the world? The passions of the world? The desires of the world? To follow your flesh? To achieve your goals? The hope of His calling. The riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints. Think about that for a second. The riches of the glory. What does God own? And that's your inheritance. And so what is it you're chasing? What is it you're pursuing? What is it you think you need more of? Then I showed you the greatness of His power. One verse, verse 19 and 20. Verse 19, He lays it out for us. He has given us power, a dunamis, an inherent power. It is power that just showed up. We also see that there was a power. And according to the working, that's another word for power. Another word for power. It's dominion. It is the ultimate power. There is nothing that stops it. The strength of his might. Strength and might. Two words for power. Two words for power. One of them has to do with the fact that, you know what? You're just the receptacle. It is poured into you. You have nothing to do with it. It is there. His might is his might. Then he says, let me give you an illustration of his power. Brought about in Christ, verse 20, raised him from the dead. You know, you just don't see that every day. You know? So, I want you to think about something. What kind of might, power, strength, working, raises someone from the dead? And what would you compare that to? Well, I can tell you that there is nothing that you can conceive of that you can compare that to. To be raised from the dead. And how great is that power? Not only did he raise him from the grave, a bodily resurrection, a bodily resurrection wasn't a spiritual thing. The body ain't there. I've been there. I've been everywhere. There's four different places. They said he was buried here. He was buried here. He was buried here. But you know what was really cool about all four of them? They're all empty. He ain't there. That means that the bones and the muscles and the tissue and the ligaments and the tendons, they all got up and left. You know what's amazing about it? Next line. Seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So everybody says, well, where's the body? <laughs> it's in heavenly places, fool. It's at the right hand of God. Why are you struggling with that? Do you need a map? That's like when people say, well, where's heaven? That's easy. Up. Jesus said it is Up. Now, I don't know how that works, because if you're in China, up is different than up is in America. But I'm figuring God can work that out. So I see his plan. I see his power. I understand that this is the greatness of 
my God. But you know what is amazing? Beginning in verse 21, the greatness of God's person. Paul moves from telling about the resurrection and the crowning of the King of Kings and of Lord of Lords. And now he begins talking to you and me about his majesty. His majesty. It's funny when something happens in England, somebody gets married or somebody gets buried uh, or whatever happens. Everybody in America stops. And I was like, you know, we've whipped him, people, right? So that we didn't have to go through that. Did you know that? Because you don't want to go through that. I was in London years ago and they had the changing of the guard in the Queen's Palace. And everybody says, you've got to see this. And so I lined up to see this. And they blocked traffic in London to march these horses over to this barn. And I'm sitting there going, you can't do that in America. That's the reason we won that war. We don't want our traffic blocked. Okay? They do it twice a day. And that would be like saying, I am going to take a platoon of horses and march them down Times Square in New York twice a day. And you people are just going to have to suck it up. But His Majesty, I went to Buckingham Palace, and you just sit there and look at this. They've got this great big fountain out front, and they've got guards around it because a bunch of the things that are on this stupid thing are gold. What was you thinking? Well, it's out in front of the Queen's house. She ain't there. Well, we know that. Well, take the fountain with her. That is majesty. That is majesty. She is the head of the church in England. She is the head of the parliament. She is not elected. She was born to it. Got it? That is majesty. She's the only person who can cruise around in a Rolls Royce shadow or a carriage. And everybody thinks it's awesome. But let me tell you about majesty. Listen, I don't, I'll be honest with you. I have really, really been struggling in this text. Because it has become evident to me that it is kind of important to know who is in us that have Christ. Actually, I would say it may be the single most important thing that exists in your being Because it is Christ who secures us. It is Christ who empowers us. It is Christ who makes the promises of God. Amen. Christ is the one who holds us. Christ is the one who makes it so we have nothing to fear. It is Christ who makes us know that we have nothing to lose. It is Christ who makes everything Possible. And I look around us today in the body of Christ and I see us seeking everything but Christ. Listen, you have Christ in your soul. What more is there? What more do you need? And yet, watch each and every one of us, and what are we pursuing? Are you pursuing more Christ? No, you've got all of Him. And yet, I understand this is not a new phenomenon. There's nothing new about it. It's been going on For centuries. We want more. I shared with you the letter to the Colossians a couple of weeks ago. 
I need more philosophy. I need more fill in the blank. One of my favorite letters in a full contextual letter, I mean, it's the, I know why the letter was written, was to Second Timothy, to Timothy, young, young man. From a shepherd's viewpoint, Second Timothy is, is probably one of my, I can probably grab more comfort, counsel from Second Timothy than any single given letter in Scripture. Why? Why that one? It's Paul's last letter. Okay. All right. He, shortly after writing 2 Timothy, he had his head removed. But he understood that God had given him this young man to pour himself into because at the time of his martyrdom, that young man's going to take over. I remember when my pastor took me and spent days in and days out Hours upon hours. I mean, we did goofy stuff like go to the movies together. And you know what he told me? You're my Timothy. Because he knew he was going to leave. And he did. Now, I still hate him for that. Minor detail. There are days when I say, who is my Timothy? I look at this letter and I see a young man who was beaten down. I see a young man who was discouraged. I see a young man who was made fun of because he was young. They challenged his doctrine. They threw genealogies at him. Well, I am of. I see a young man who is getting ready to take on a task that no human being is adequate for. And he deals with the same thing that every true God-preaching pastor deals with in this day and age. This day and age. I'm not talking about the entertainment guys. I'm talking about the guys that says, you know what? I've got to get this stuff into their heart and I've got to give them the information so that the Holy Spirit will make it real. Those guys. Both of them. No, just kidding. They fight the same battle. Timothy fought it. Paul fought it. Peter fought it. John fought it. You know what it is? There's one battle that goes across for centuries and centuries and centuries. Timothy is dealing with it. Paul is in prison getting ready to have his head cut off. And I find that fascinating. I'm getting ready to be executed and I'm trying to encourage you. Do you know what the battle is? Well, yes, sir, buddy. That's Satan. Ain't got nothing to do with Satan. It's them demons. Concubine, and succubine. Them guys. Nope. You know what it is? Same all across history. Whether you're Ezekiel, whether you're Daniel, you stand on the Word of God, you will have an, an opponent that will never leave your side. An opponent. Know what it is? Discouragement. That's the shepherd's greatest enemy. Paul tells Timothy, fan the flame. Fan the flame. There's times I look at Paul and say, shut up. I'll trade you places. Cut my head off. It's quicker. Timothy, I know you're discouraged. I know you're beaten down. I know they're making fun of you. Stir up the gift of God. 
But do you know what the most powerful encouragement that he gave Timothy comes out of chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. How in the heck is that encouraging? Well, one, if he is a descendant or the seed of David, that is his humanness. Timothy, you discouraged? How discouraged do you suppose the seed of David was? You're not dealing with anything that he didn't deal with in spades. He understands. He is there for you. But he's risen from the dead. That is his deity. Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead. The seed of David. He who in all ways was tempted but was without sin. He who was crucified for the sins of humanity and risen from the dead and seated at the right hand of God the Father is powerful enough to accomplish His will through you. Remember who He is. Because when you remember who He is, then you will remember He is in you. Now then, I'm going to throw it right out there. That is what every Christian needs to focus on. Myopically. And I'm going to ask you a question because I already know the answer. What is it you focus on? Because anything less, what would you just do? You just sought more. And yet, he's the seed of David. He was risen from the dead. He is in you. You gaze into the glory of the Lord and there will be a change into his image by his spirit. If we focus less on our psychological problems... If we focus less on our little temporal problems and more on the person of Jesus Christ, and the more I focus on the person of Jesus Christ, the more I understand His power, the more I understand He is in us. Let me ask you a question. When you get that focus, what kind of freedom do you think you got? Think about the bondage that you will set yourself free from. People say, well, Terry, there's things to deal with in life. Let me tell you about things to deal with in life. I'm going to tell you what my week was. I got a call on Sunday. A friend of mine that I've known for a number of years. Tough biker, oil well driller. Tough as nails. Six weeks ago, he had a stroke. Freaked him out. 50 years old. Went to see him at the hospital. We started talking about eternal things. Well, maybe I should come to church. Come to church? Joe, that ain't going to do nothing. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The seed of David. Raised from the dead. Hmm. He said, I feel like I've wasted of it all. So well, you're getting there. You're getting there. Call me on Saturday. Hey, Terry. You know, Joe, he says, well, my motorcycle is running to the left. I was wondering, so I'm thinking about going to Hawaii for about two months. Would you be willing to tear it apart and put rings in it and stuff? Yeah, I'll do it. This is running a little rough. And I was like, well, you know, change the plugs in it because if you burn oil, you're fouling plugs. 
And I mean, he only got two cylinders. You, you're going to run an option here pretty quick. Yeah, all right. Got to tell you something. I said, what's that, Joe? I asked Cheryl to marry me. Really? I gave her an $8,000 diamond ring. I bet she said yes, huh? Yes, I did say that. I understand how that nature works. I wanted 10, dude. Oh, hang on, I'll get you a band. Call him on Monday. See if I can stop by and look at his bike. He's crying. What's the matter, Joe? Cheryl killed herself this morning. What? Yeah, hung herself in the garage. Wow. Where you at, Joe? Tracked him down, stayed with him until midnight. Monday night. You want to tell me about the temporal? The only thing that kept me from losing my mind is he was the seed of David raised from the dead. He's in me. That was just the beginning. I went in to see my kidney doctor and he says, I'm surprised to see you. And I said, why that? He says, we did a thing on your kidneys. You're at 42%. We were thinking about putting you on a kidney transplant list. He says, you know, if they go out really quick, we can get you on the list quick. But you stay on dialysis. Well, hallelujah. I did another test and they said, hey, it's up to 60%. You know what they say, doc? What's that? Practice, practice, practice. And people tell me, well, Terry, you're not realistic with what's going on in the temporal. Really? I know who's in me. I got some other things. You want me to share with you the rest of my week? Thought not. I don't want to hear about the temporal. Because you know what that is? Temporary. Temporary. But inside of me is the seed of David raised from the dead. Listen, there are so many things. You guys know that I read. I, I protest about it, but God said, that's what I've got you doing, so do it. And I've learned that arguing doesn't pay off. So I read. I read mostly Christian stuff. I do read some historical stuff, but mostly Christian stuff. And you know what I was thinking about this as I was going through this text? Do you realize how much is written by Christian publishers on things to do? Do you realize how few things are written on Jesus Christ? Read a book about Jesus Christ. And you think about all of the Christian literature that is out there. What is it about? It is about us. And what we should focus and what we should do and how we should act and how we should think and how I should dress and how I should walk, how I should talk, how I should look, how I should deal with this or how I should deal with that. How do I grow the church? How do I shrink the church? How do I make this happen? How do I make that happen? How do I evaluate leaders? How do I do this and how would I do that? You know what? That's a waste of time. Who is he? That is his majesty. We are not here about us. We are here about him. It is his might. It is his power. And his might, his power matches his majesty. 
God, I wish we would understand this. Paul's prayer is, God, let the eyes of their heart, their thinking, see this. Verse 21, far above, far above, far above all rule, all and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. He is far above all rule, Akara. Akara is the first leader. He's far above. The first leader, authority, Akuza, Akuza. That's the second delegated authority. He's far above. He's far above. Then he goes authority and power and dominion. Okay. Basically what Paul's saying, I don't care if they are good or bad angels. That's what that terminology is from the New Testament. Anytime you see that, authority, power, and dominion. I don't care. He is far above. Far above. And every name that is named, he's contextually, he's coming out of the sentence saying, if you put the names on the angels, I don't care. He's far above them. I'm far above him. He's above every name then. So now he covers humanity. From the first name, Adam, to wherever we end up with. He is above that name. He's above, you know, he's above those names that are on Mount Rushmore. He's far above. He's above every name. When it says he's above every name, coming out of the context of the angelic host, he says, I don't care if it's a fallen angel or a holy angel, he's far above. But then he goes with the names. I don't care who the name of the human is. He's far above that name. Every name. He is far above every person ever. No matter their identity or their office. He is far above. Far above. Not only in this age, but guess what? The age to come. You know what the age to come is? New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. 1,500 square miles cubed. That's the New Jerusalem. Wow, we're getting ready to build a skyscraper. Is it 1,500 miles tall? Yeah, basically what he's saying is he's going to have a city that hovers, that goes from Canada to Mexico, from the Mississippi River to the coast, the Pacific coast. And then it's that high. But don't worry. He's far above that in the age to come. And you know what? Verse 22 says, He put all things. You know what all things is, right? And it's all where? Under his feet. So in this age, and the age to come, guess what? It's all under his feet. Remember that one time George Bush was in Baghdad and he was getting ready to do some question and answers or something like that? Some guy threw his shoe at him. Remember that? See, in the Middle East, the worst place you can be is where? On the bottom of a foot. So that's why they throw shoes at you. If you go look at it, they tore the statue of what's his name, Saddam Hussein down, and everybody was out there with their shoes smacking it in the face. And I thought, well, that's kind of stupid. I mean, you tore the statue down, give me a break. That's shaming it. You're under my feet. But this says, you know what? Jesus has all under his feet. All of it is under his feet. 
I want to close with this because I was thinking that this was my last message in this text, but as more I go through it, this is a plethora of understanding, so I'll deal with it again next week. But I want you to think about this. He put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the what? To the church, which is his body. I want you to think about that for a second. Let that digest for a moment. Let me ask you a question. How important is church to you? I don't know how a Christian can read that and not feel shamed. I've been in church long enough to know that the bulk of Christianity should be shamed. Should be. You know why? The body, his body, which is what? The fullness of him. The church, his body, is nothing more than the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is of the seed of David, raised from the dead. That is his fullness. We are filled with him. Each of us are filled with his fullness. And yet look at us. Have you grasped his greatness? His majesty? Do you understand that all is under his feet? And the church he is the head of? So that the manifestation of his fullness... Is seen. See. A number of years ago. I have looked through this. And it dawned on me that once a believer. Grasped the greatness of his plan. And grasped the greatness of his power. They will come to the conclusion of grasping how possible by the greatness of this person this is. That's what I shared with you. He gives you theology and then he prays that our knuckleheads will get it. He does it again in chapter 2. He just backs up God's theological dump truck, pours it on you, and it says in chapter 3, i got to pray for these clowns. Because this here, humanity cannot comprehend. Listen, once I have grasped the greatness of His plan, once I have grasped the greatness of His power, and the greatness of the person, I guarantee you, it will change the way you live. And it will be drastic. It's the proverbial hitting the front brakes on a bicycle and seeing, wow, how did that happen? It will stun you. It will shock you. It will overwhelm you. It will humble you. It has to. Or you ain't his. If you can't understand how great his plan is, how great his power is, and how great his person is, pray for your repentance. Listen, do you understand there is nothing, nothing before Jesus Christ? Well, I'll ask you a simple question. How do you live your life? Do you live your life as if nothing is before Jesus Christ? There is no greater power, and no one could ever change anything. It is His plan. It is His power, and it was done by His person. He has a plan. And guess what? It is not changeable. It is folding out. And we all stand there going, well, golly, I wish I could. No, 
Ain't got nothing to do with it. No one has greater power. No one can love you more. And no one can ever do more. Period. We are secure in Him. Because it is His plan. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 4 through 7 tells me that He is greater than the angels. He is far above. Another letter that was written at around the same time as Ephesians. They call them the prison epistles. Paul was in prison when he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And another letter that he wrote during this very same time, letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 9 and following, says this, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul reminds the believers at Ephesus. He reminds the believers at Castle Rock Baptist Church that he is head over everything, even the church. The fullness of him. Where is the fullness of him? Right here. Right here. You, we are the fullness of Christ in the world. He radiates himself through you, through myself. What a great plan he made. So he energizes this plan. So he dwells in us to bring the plan to fulfillment. Hooper Nikkei. Hooper Nikkei. Super conquerors in Christ. How in the heck am I a super conqueror? I thought you'd never ask. Chapter 6, verse 11, Ephesians. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You know what the schemes of the devil are? Get out a big list. It's a big long one. Ready? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. See that? Write those down. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Or it could be pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. You know what? You would think that 2,000 years after the birth of the church, the church would be smart enough to figure out those are the three plays he runs against us. Wonder why I can't defense it. I don't have any luck with it. Yeah, he runs over me every time. You know why? What did you just focus on? When I focus on Jesus Christ, I am Hooper Nikkei. Super conqueror in Christ. When I focus on the rest of it, I fall into the snare of my enemy. Verse 10 of that text says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. It is all available to us. He wants us to be His fullness. He wants each and every one of us. He doesn't care about your age. He doesn't care about your occupation. He doesn't care about your education. He doesn't care about your talents. He care. Why do you think it's so complicated to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness to be added unto us? That doesn't seem that complicated. Does that seem that complicated? Oh, but we have an adversary who has three plans that he plays that he runs against us and we ain't figured out how to defeat it yet. And people say, well, I've got to put on the whole armor. Why'd you take it off? My son was in combat for a year in Afghanistan and he will tell you he never took his kid off. You know what his kid is? 
A bunch of plates of steel that hang on his front and his back. And knee pads and elbow pads for 12 months. Why? Because you could be shot at at any given moment. And what do you suppose we're doing here? The whole system hates us. Why would I take my armor off? Oh, I know why. I was lusting of the eyes. Oh, no, I was lusting of the flesh. No, I was showing you my pride. And you stand butt naked before an adversary who wants to roar as a lion. Because he won't focus on the king. I found this quote from John Calvin. I knew it from some time ago, but I found it again. It's kind of a, it's a miracle. I found it. Because people ask me, what's heaven like? And I say, sinlessness. But there's something else that I have always, you always try to grab it and, and put it in your head and it don't fit. Okay. And then I remember Calvin. Calvin, gee whiz. The world would could do another Calvin. This is what he said about this text. Okay, that I'm just reading to you. Quote, This is the highest honor of the church, that until he is united to us, the Son of God reckons himself in some measure imperfect. What consolation is it for us to learn that not until we are in his presence does he possess all his parts or does he wish to be regarded as complete? Unquote. You know what that is? We get to heaven. The body of Christ is complete. You know what they call that? The wedding feast of the Lamb. But until that time, you look around. You know how many people are missing? He is in us, but right now, in a sense, He is scattered. He is scattered. One day, when we go to be with him, he will be absolutely, perfectly united. Paul prays that we will understand. And this is my prayer. I pray that we know this. I pray that everything we have will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God's Son. Because in that knowledge will be confidence, power, security. And guess what? It will transform us to the praise of God's glory. I'm going to close with this one last thought. The Apostle Paul. shared with you that uh, there's a lot of books written. One of the greatest topics that is written on these days is worship. I get stuff weekly on the church email and my personal email on worship. You know what's amazing about it? Never have I found one that says, present yourself holy and pure as a living sacrifice. This is your act of worship. I want to ask you a question. You know what sacrifice means? I have to give up something that's valuable. That's sacrifice. I pray that we will all start worshiping. Father, we come before you. Yes, Lord, is you are our resources and they are in the person of Christ who is in us.
Father, may we understand the greatness of your plan. Father, may we understand the greatness of your power. But Father, may we embrace fully the greatness of the person of Jesus Christ. Help us be people known for our worship of sacrifice. Help us to be overwhelmed as you enlighten our hearts to the wisdom and revelation of who we are in Christ. Father, may we understand that the fullness of Jesus Christ is His church. And Father, may we understand that each of us possess that fullness. Father, I know I have no ability whatsoever to make anybody get a hold of this. So I beseech your throne. I beg you, the people of Castle Rock Baptist Church will grasp this. Help them, Lord. I beg you. In Christ's name. Amen.